Hi, I'm Julie Walls with the Flip and Shift Expert Series podcast. In this episode, you're going to listen to my chat with Jim McFarlane, otherwise known as America's Cobbler. Jim's shoe repair craftsmanship has received awards at the highest levels in Europe and the U.S. Jim received two gold medals in the service international trade show and competition in Germany. His latest award in June of 2023 was a competition where 46 master craftsmen from 16 countries participated in this competition. Not only is he a skilled craftsman, but he is one hell of a guy to chat with on how to have a thriving business in a suffering industry. His following is proof that he is loved for his trade and has put a spotlight back on his industry. Without further ado, Jim McFarland. Hey, Jim, how are you? <laughs> Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on your podcast, really. So we're going to go right into the interview. I'm really cognizant of your time. So I want to go right into, give us a little insight into where you're from and where your business reside, resides. Well, I, I actually was born in St. Petersburg, Florida, me, and we moved to Lakeland, which is about an hour and a half away in about 1967. And I'm currently in Lakeland, Florida. My location actually this month turned 42 years old. I started there when I was 16. Yep. So, but, but we used to have three stores at one time. Three stores in the, in the area or spread out? Yeah. Yeah. In, in the area when my family was still all around, but uh, now it's just a store. Yeah. Just one store and it's in Lakeland, correct? And where is that in relation to the coast? It's actually between Tampa and Orlando. Oh, you've got, you've got interstate four that runs from Tampa all the way to Daytona beach. Holy How many people do you service? Well, my town's not that big. It's growing. It's about a hundred thousand, um, barely enough that would really support a shoe repair shop. Okay. But we have people that, that come from Orlando, Tampa, Sarasota, to drive hour, an hour and a half away. Wow. It's crazy. That and, is and crazy. Then our, and then our mail-in business is about 50% now. And that, that comes pretty much from everywhere. Wow. Holy buckets. That's a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Florida is not a desolate state. I mean, you guys are getting droves of people to it. Yes, it's a it's it's a whole different state than it was a few years ago. Oh yeah, I I can see that absolutely. All right, let's get into your earlier early exposure to this field of of work. When did you first Mm -hmm. become interested in learning shoe repair? I never was interested in learning it. (laughs) I grew I grew up. You're going to it, yes. I I, when I was uh, I can remember, believe it or not, when I was little very little on the playpen in the back of the shop i can remember in st pete i can remember sitting in that thing and and my dad would come over and this little radio show would come on every day and he'd turn it on and the song would come on and we'd sing it together i can go back and, and remember all the way back to that point i don't know how but i do that's all i remember at a young age but I just grew up in it. Boy, every day after school, I would be there. You know, when I was little, I would just, my dad would, he, he would take some material, a big sheet of rubber, clean rubber, lay it on the floor and put a, a brand new smock over it and, and have me sleep on it and take a nap. No way. Well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. 
I would love that. Yeah, so <laughs> and I'd wake up and I'd stand around and I'd watch all the guys work and then I'd go play with some toys or whatever, you know. And but I grew up watching all of these guys, you know, every day. And yeah, it was kind of interesting. And then, you know, when I was probably nine or ten, my dad would just like keep me busy, would give me like, you know, some leather and some dye. And I thought it was cool to paint it. So, you know. But then he saw I was doing okay with it. So then he would give me other jobs that I didn't realize was a real job. I just thought it was fun taking it apart. So anyway, I, I did a lot of free work and didn't realize it. That's amazing. Yeah, of course. That's that's what yeah. we do to our kids with our business. <laughs> but but when I was about when I was about 15 or 16 years old, one day I just came in. And I just picked up a pair of men's shoes and took them apart and resold them. Never stitched on the curved needle by myself before. The curved needles which stitches the soles on the shoe. I just picked it up and did it because I'd seen it done just thousands and thousands of times. So you just knew how to do it. You just gotta you've gotta be able to have the hand skills, you know. Um, but uh, I just kind of came came natural because I grew up in it. Yeah. So I never planned to be one. In fact, I wanted to do something else. But when I realized what, what did you want to do, Jim? I, I wanted to coach football. I, mean, so I, wanted to coach football. <laughs> I can so, see that. Uh, but you know, my dad got sick. I was in my second year of college. I dropped my classes. I came back to help. He didn't make it. And then I was, you know, what do I do? Keep it or close it? It's a good business. There's some family heritage here. So I had to make a decision. And I made the decision and I told my wife, I said, uh, if I'm going to do this, I don't want to be just a common cobbler. And what I mean by a common cobbler, I don't mean a disrespectful, you know, a disrespectful word towards other cobblers, but there's serious shoe repair cobblers that love their craft. And then there's cobblers that just don't want to go in there. They hate it, but it's all they know how to do. And they have to go in there and they just, sling the workout and just want to go home and I didn't want to be one you know have that attitude of doing that so I got heavily involved in my industry and association and then that is when I decided that I wanted to make a career out of this when I when I got into my mid-20s wow you know that's yeah. really your story reaches my heart and home because we've had I'm just drawing a correlation, but we have a business, a legacy business, and we have our children. So I'm thinking of from the standpoint of what they're going to deal with when mm -hmm. they become of age and they're learning little bits and pieces of the business, my husband's scale business. And, you know, it, I do think that it's real difficult for us to kind of wrap our hand. Do they want to do this work? Is this something, because I was talking to my husband the other day and I thought, well, you know, you've got, they've got an opportunity for a business to be handed to the, to them. Not, you know, they're going to have to learn it from the ground up. They're going to have to get their hands, you know, dirty, but it's an established business. They don't have to overthink marketing. They have to learn the business from the ground up, you know, customer relations, all of that. But it's like, well, what if they don't, you know, and you you're, you were in the shop learning and you became intrigued by it. And then you were like, well, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, not half ass. I'm going to do it with the full mindset of really learning it and loving it. It sounds like to well, me. Yeah. Well, my, my grandfather 
started our, our business in 1918 in Anderson, Indiana. Okay. And, uh, actually, my second great uncle, which we just found out, which that's another story, really cool story, is the one that trained him. He had a, a shop. But yeah, my, you know, my grandfather was kind of forced, I'll say forced into it. He got married to my grandmother when he was 16 or 17. And my grandmother's uncle was like, you know, this kid really doesn't have anything. I better teach him the trade. So he taught my grandfather how to, how to do the business so, because my grandfather's dad died just before he was born, wow. but he was wild and ran the streets and wasn't very responsible. And then he had to raise my dad and uh, my dad grew up in it like, like I did. And so I looked back at their lives and I did not want that lifestyle. I didn't want to work hard and, and have nothing. And I always saw the struggle. That's why I got so involved and serious about this business because it is a business. Yeah. And you have to take it seriously. And, and so I made the decision that I'm going to have a different mindset than my dad and my grandfather. And here we are doing things definitely different. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad we took the direction we did. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like to me, it's one of the key lessons you learned from your childhood. And then, yes. but I, but I want to say too, from that experience, it's obvious that it influenced where you are today. Yes. Which is wonderful. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. I was thinking about it yesterday. If I wouldn't have had those hard times growing up and watching these guys that, yeah, I definitely wouldn't be who I am today as far as running a whole different business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing. So let's discuss your journey into this work professionally. Can you explain to our listeners insight into the training process? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm <laughs> actually, I'm actually, I said I would never train anybody again. I'm, I'm currently training my nephew. It's, it's quite a process. It's, it's no different than going to college. It, it's, um, it's two to four years, depending on your on your skill level and how bright you are. You know, everybody's different. Some people pick up on it quicker than others. I train people different than, than some people. Some people will just put something in somebody's hands and have them go at it. Well, you know, we get some expensive shoes, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to do it that way. Mm-hmm. So what, what I, the, the approach I take is the way I learned. I watched and watched and watched, and then I just did it. So my nephew's been with me about about a year now. And I just, you know, it's almost like the Karate Kid story where they had him painting and waxing cars, wax on, wax out, you know, for a long time. And he just thought he was not learning anything. Well, my nephew's just been polishing shoes on this machine for a year. But then the other day, I started asking questions. He's learned about all the products. And the position he's holding the shoe on on the shine brush unit is the same position as all the grinders in the machine and in the shop. So when he starts grinding soles and heels, he's going to have the same form that he's been using on the shine machine. But he knows all the products, all the different materials. And all of a sudden, I don't think he realized how much he's learned just in the last three months. Wow. So just from watching so uh, he's been there a year, but but hopefully the way he's going, he's very smart. He's very passionate. He loves he loves what he's doing, and I think he'll be a little quicker than than some. You know, three to four years, I think he'll be in a good spot. 
is that how is that how long it took for you to kind of feel that confidence? You know, I still don't feel the confidence. Really? <laughs> After now, this many years? <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you. Anybody in this industry that ever thinks they know it all, take your shoes somewhere else. Because there isn't anybody in this business that knows it all. There, there really isn't. There's a lot of guys out there. And I've met plenty. And, and when they say they're the best and blah, 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 I, I don't, my ears kind of close because, you know, the awards we've won, I've been doing this over 40 years. And let me tell you, I'm learning something all the time. And sometimes I learn something from somebody that's a first generation that just learned a technique that that's their way. And I see a different way they finish something. I'm constantly always trying to soak in as much uh, as I can to make it better and better and better. So when I get some of these super expensive shoes in my store to work on, you better really be on top of your game because the, that customer is seeking you out for a reason and and you better better be able to, to, to back it up, that's for sure. So learning from all of these different, there's a lot of good craftsmen out there. I'm still learning little things from, and, and they're the same way. They'll, they'll come back at me and say, I saw something you did. And, and it's the best thing was we all, they were always constantly learning from each other to get, just to get better and better and better. You know, we, we, yeah, we which I want to dive deeper into that. We will here in a bit, but I want to dive deeper into that, into that mentorship and that camaraderie between in your association. Cause I think that's really powerful. I know mm -hmm. my husband has leaned to other dealers and other scale businesses to, you know, get some feedback. And obviously his dad's been instrumental in his grandfather, but I, I think that's, I think that hits the nail on the head. You're he's always learning just like you are in those, in these mm. industries. So yeah, it's just wonderful. like a doctor. Yeah. Just like yeah. a doctor, you know, continual education. I mean, it's just what you do when you're a professional. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's yeah. amazing. So let's, but let's shift over to the business piece, which that's something that takes <laughs> You know, you get knocked down a few steps. You take some mm -hmm. hardships, right? Oh, Along yeah. the way. I loved your quote <laughs> when we were talking about, you know, you have a being a skilled craft, craft, craftsman or a skilled businessman, which I think you have to be both, right? Yes. To survive. So yes. what challenges have you faced and how have you learned to adapt to a changing industry in the business world? As far as a changing industry, I mean, it's kind of a tricky question. The few things that have changed are, I don't want to jump ahead of your questions, but the, the challenges I'm facing are the decline of shops, people trying to seek out quality craftsmen because they have high quality shoes and there's no one around them. And the, the, the time, you know, have enough time to, um, you don't want somebody waiting for too long to get their shoes back. Right. But um, that's, that's been, a, that's been a challenge and, and quality craftsmanship is, is a challenge. I mean, you know, let's say there's 3,200 shops or so left. I mean, you really only have less uh, from what I've gathered. I've traveled all over the country. I've been to a lot of shops. Um, I've only seen, I'd say less than 5% that's out there are at a really high skill level. Now, there's a lot of good ones out there, but when I say a high skill level, I mean, they just, they're amazing. They can just do some really amazing things. So that that's the challenge in our industry is 
skilled craftsmen that do a great job because if it goes to the wrong person and they do a bad job, then that person may not ever use a shoe repair shop again. So the, ch the challenges is our education, trying to get, get guys even better. Uh, huh. Yeah. We can talk about how we're doing that later. I think you've yes. got that in there. I want to know that. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and also too, I know you've indicated in the when we had our last chat that you've seen with supply and chain supply chains and material qual material quality and accessibility has been a difficult thing for you guys. How do you deal with those issues? Uh actually it's a lot better than it was. Oh um, things okay. are, things are things are a lot better now. Why do you think um, that is? Why did it go down and then come back up? Well, a, a lot of in the European, we get a lot of our material from Europe. Okay. And so a lot of them were closed down for a while. Mm. And uh, once they opened back up, we we pretty much. Is that because of COVID? Only, yeah. Okay. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. But no, no, there's still, there's still plenty of, you know, there's a lot of them that have closed up just because they got older and didn't want to sell the business. It was a family business or they you know, so we've lost, we've lost some good companies, but there's still a lot of good ones out there making really good, high quality material. Good. That's the thing about the shoe repair industry is, is the materials we buy are, you know, are, are very high quality compared to a lot of the stuff that's put on in the factory. Like, right. like a leather sole, for instance, a lot of the factories are looking for a clean, clean, bottom, which means it's coming from an area of the cow that never gets scraped or cut or bug, you know, bug bites so much. And, and, but the fiber structure isn't as good as areas that where they might scratch themselves on a tree and leave a scar or whatever, that part of the hide is super high quality wear. So to where shoe repair shops will, will go for that to get the longer wear. Right. Where a, a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of shoe companies will go for the cleaner looking leather because it's like no marks on the bottom, but it doesn't wear as long. Right. So, you know, just an example. And then other companies, rubber companies, there's, there's a lot of them out there that just make super high quality rubber. So when you replace the little tips on ladies' heels or men's rubber top lifts, much higher quality. Kind of like when you go to buy tires on your car, you can get a 30,000 mile or 100,000 mile. That's, that's interesting. So we, we still have access to great material. So that's, that's good. And right. I think that'll continue for a while. But have you yeah. seen a hit as far as pricing? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. substantial. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Prices of material or to buy one belt for sandpaper belt to grind okay. shoes. Okay. And they last about a week. I was paying $13 two years ago. Now I'm paying probably $22 for that same belt. Wow. Yeah. Where a pair, you know, a leather, like a leather pair of full soles has gone up about 50%. Uh, there is no eight or 9% inflation in my industry. And I'm sure a lot of other industries are like that. Right. I'm more at 25 to 50% inflation on the prices materials that we're paying. It's, it's well, nuts. It is yeah. nuts. Yeah. I, I, that, that I saw that and I, that information. And I was like, holy buckets, that's a yeah. substantial. And then on the back end, you're almost, you're almost, if you have a good quality pair of shoe, you know, that you, you cost $400, you, yeah. I'm sure you have way higher end shoes than that. But for me, that's a good 
quality pair of shoes that I spent the cash on. I'm assuming I'm, if, you know, if I scuff it up or I want him to get them to back to like new, you know, to maybe resell, I'd have to spend at least 200 bucks on it. So half the cost. That's crazy. To, uh, what, to refurbish it? Yes. No, I mean, like no? I, I have, no, I have people that actually, they'll buy, you know, like a pair of Christian Louboutins. They'll buy a pair bring them in to get them refurbished to resell them on some of these different platforms, marketplaces right. or whatever. And, you know, some of them come in and spend $20, $25 for heel tips and touch up. Some will get like new sole protectors put on the bottom and touch up. Yeah. then they're about a hundred, but okay. they're getting, they're getting two, $300 or more for them. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. For some, if okay. they're in nice shape, if they're in nice shape. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah, that's, boots, that's, Real nice Western boots. My nephew, he, he's buying thirty and forty dollars for Lucchese ostrich oh, boots that yes. should be eight hundred to a thousand, and you know you can resell them for one hundred and fifty, two hundred bucks. You know, just throwing some polish on. It's bananas. So, yeah, yeah. I, I live in Montana, and boot repair is a big deal here. And you'll see the guys coming in that absolutely love their boots, and they'll have tape over them. They're like. They're trying to keep it all together oh, and they have tape yeah. wrapped around. I'm like, go get we your boots repaired. <laughs> you know, it, it, it gets me, I, I will throw out a video on TikTok and, and it's funny. You'll get so many comments, younger people, and you'll look after the comment and you'll see they have 30 followers or no videos. And then they have to say, well, they don't know much about what they're talking about. Right. You know, I have a thousand dollar boot that I just recrafted and they'll make the comment, it'd have been cheaper to buy another pair. It was $150 to recraft the boot yeah. for soles and heels. That's a thousand. They say $850. Yeah, they don't get it. They don't get yeah. it. <laughs> That's yeah. a, that is so interesting. With all of that, I, I do, I mean, and the challenges that you face though in, in business and the financial piece, at this point, you know, you have, you have lesser people to pull from. You have more, you have higher demand. What keeps you going? It, that's my thoughts. You have so, so much coming at you. <laughs> what keeps you working every day and doing this work? Well, you got, you better have some passion <laughs> and, and bills. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, I'm a very competitive person and I, you know, it's, it's not, it's not about what I did yesterday. It's about what I'm going to do tomorrow. So once I've set a goal or had a good day, you know, whatever yesterday, okay, that's gone. Now, what am I going to do better tomorrow and make it better? Right. You know, because it don't matter anymore yesterday. It's, it's about tomorrow. So that's what keeps me going is uh, pushing myself to be, to be better, not better than anybody else, but to be, be a better better person at what I'm doing personally. Good. I so, love that. Uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, I guess that's my philosophy. <laughs> we have to, the mindset is so powerful. So <laughs> I love that. Okay. I'm going to go uh, into the next question. As AI has begun to take over, over and jobs are being replaced. I know we talked about that in our call. According to analytics, Vidha jobs, jobs with physical dexterity and specialized specialized skills such as skilled craftsmanship will most likely have a lasting stay. 
Shoe cobblers have a great amount of job security. However, why is the industry massively shrinking? It's mind blowing to me. According yeah. to for fortune.com, the more encompassing shoe repair market has declined an estimated 23% between 2013 and 2023 to, to just, I don't want to say just 307 million. This is according to market research, uh, a market research firm. Can you share what you have seen regarding jobs in your industry when you began to where it is today and why there's such a massive decline? Yeah, actually, I've been the historian for about 25 years for the Shoe Service Institute of America. And one thing we have done is watch these numbers real close every year over the years. And, uh, you know, we had, you know, over 100,000 shops during the Great Depression. And here we are at less than 3,500 now. You know, there's lots of reasons. When you had immigrants coming here in the early 1900s, they had large families. They had five, six, seven, eight kids. Some of those kids grew up in the shop. Some of the, the shoe repair shops in this country are third and fourth generation. A lot of them are. And, but as time's gone on, you've got a few things that's happened. A lot of people say, oh, it's, because all these cheap shoes that have come in from, from the Asian market. Yeah, they make some cheap shoes, a lot of plastic shoes, and but that's that's not the big part of the problem. A, a lot of places, a lot of shops will say, well, I'm closing because the shoes are all cheap. Well, sometimes the neighborhood in the area you're in dies, and now it's changed, and it's not busy anymore, and the type of people coming in aren't buying that type of shoe. So you better move your store into wherever the times are kind of changing and rolling into, you know, and get with the game. Otherwise, you're going to be closing your doors. But the biggest part of that problem is, is as time's gone on and families have uh, shrunk, some, some cobblers didn't have a son. Some had a, a daughter or two. Some of those got in, but a lot, most of them didn't. There's a few ladies I know that, women that I know that are in, in the business and they do a great job. They're, they're very good. Um, one of them is my mentor. She's up in Albany, New York. She's uh, in, played a huge part in my, in my uh, life and business. And to this day, I still talk to her. And, but the main thing is, is, is nobody's learning the trade and it comes down to two problems with it. As I was saying earlier, it, it can take around four years on average, to train somebody fully, not just shining shoes. We're talking taking shoes apart. You're not going to give somebody a thousand dollar pair of shoes and a knife after they've been there a month. So the cobbler, here's what he's faced with. This is what I'm faced with right now. And it, it and it's tough for the for the um, apprentice and it's tough for the teacher. The teacher has to pay him a lot of the times to training. We don't get paid to go to college. You know, I mean, I wish we did, but we take out student loans and grants and all that stuff. And then the person that is learning, well, they're taking a low salary to learn because they can't produce. They're not producing. It's a total loss for me to train somebody probably for the first two years. I'm not making anything. And, but Hopefully, once you turn that two-year mark, now they're at a point where they've learned enough where they can start being a little bit more profitable. Um, that is 
the hard part of trying to train somebody that's coming into the store. And that's the difference than having grown up in it like I did. And by the time I'm 14 years old, 15 years old, I've seen it a million times and I can just go do it. That's not happening anymore. It's very little, very little. I mean, it's, it, I know so many cobblers that never had kids or just had daughters, like I said. So there, you're, you're cutting out a bunch there. And here's another thing. Here I am, I'm 58 now. And when we go to the trade shows every year, the majority of the young people are my age. Okay. Wow. In the room. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that makes sense. Yeah. Well, don't don't say wow. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I didn't mean I'm to do no, no. You I'm know. kidding. <laughs> You've got and you have a very low percentage, I'd say, from the looks of the last few shows, 10-15% that are under 40. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, very low percentage. But they're hungry and they come to the shows. The ones that come to the shows are hungry. They want to learn as much as they can. And there's a few young ones out there that are really, really going to have a bright future. There's one one young man I, I watch. He's in his 30s. Name's Tobias. And he worked for uh, guys you know Wyatt Dad. So talented. 32 years old. He does such beautiful work. I love watching him work. Here I am. Been doing it a long time. And when I watch his videos, I'm like, you get you know when people say this about mine. It gets sucked into watching. All of a sudden, you're just like so focused in on it. Yeah. When it's over, you don't realize where you just you actually just went into that. It's like I don't know. It's weird. It's hard to explain. But I'll watch his, and then when he's done, I'll think to myself, "Wait, I do that too." Yeah. I was so focused in and watching what a great job he was doing. Yes. So, um, so there's a handful of young guys out there, and their future in this is going to be amazing. Uh, Anybody learning this trade, if they can learn it, they've got an amazing future because you're talking about AI and all that. They can't do this. No, they can't. Yeah, that's yeah. that that was the research I was doing. And weirdly enough, I came across your reels that your is it mm -hmm. your niece that's that you does the reels? No, my daughter. Your daughter does the reels. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And I was exactly what you said. I was mesmerized. It was like what is this guy doing? This is, this is art. This is amazing. He's got She's tons really of people good. following him. I mean, you're, you're blowing up on Instagram and I'm like, I was just researching, you know, what's happening. I, the reason why is I had gone to a seamstress and I was talking about my dress. My dress cost me 120 bucks. <laughs> the, the alterations cost 150. And we were, I was talking to her and I said, you're like the only person in the Valley and she had a stack of dresses. She's like, you're lucky you even got in. It's going to take me, you know, normally it takes me six months to even get to your dress. And I thought to myself, what is going on? But no one can replace her job. She has this, no one can replace your job, but there are going to be a ton of job losses. And then I, weirdly enough, your reel popped up and I thought, wow, I really want to know more about this because these industries are such high in demand, yet there's. They're fleeting away. And I think people cannot complain about, about not having a job. This is, these are opportunities to be had. This is an you opportunity know, to revive the industries, these industries. So many, so many young people are coming out of college and, and doing something that's not even in the, the study field that they were in. And 
you know, I remember my my uh, high school guidance counselor coming in the classroom the last week of school when we were going to graduate. And back then, they didn't guide you through your whole high school career. I don't even know what their purpose was. You know, I mean, they just came in the last week of school and said, well, you've got three options in life. You can go in the military, you can go to college, or you can learn a trade. Right. It's not, it hasn't changed. <laughs> it hasn't changed. Yeah. No. <laughs> And and I wouldn't trade what I'm doing. You know, when I look back now and I see what uh, what teachers and people at the schools have to go through, and um, all the struggles they have, I'm I'm too I'm too vocal. <laughs> I couldn't have dealt with it. So I was driving home one night after after something we went to at school that happened and it was ugly. And I'm driving home and I'm thinking to myself, that coaching career. If I would have went that direction, I would be saying to myself right now what I would give to have my little jewelry push shot back. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I am where I'm meant to be, and I like what I'm doing, and I'm just going to keep keep going at it. And you know, when I said earlier, I never wanted to be a common cobbler. It's funny. I was looking through old newspaper articles a while back and found an old article I never saw it before. But on the front page, up in the right top corner, it said, "No common cobbler." So that's so I know cool. Was, I love that. It, I love that. It was, it was like, man, <laughs> that, that was, that was strange how that happened. So I kept that little piece oh, yeah. aside here to just to motivate me that good. I made sure that I was going to try to work hard to be different. I love it. I think it's wonderful. And I think we need more of that in, in our children and in the mindset these days, really, I do. I think that needs to happen. Okay, let's talk about the work you've done. When working on high-end designer pieces such as Louis Vuitton, do you need to have access to their leather, their paint? No. 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 Okay. No. Okay. Interesting. No. We we have plenty of companies out there making really fantastic material, uh, like the red soles. They match them perfect. We bring them in, um, like a, a red rubber sole protector that goes over the leather. That uh-huh. way, the paint don't wear off. They stay red. No, you don't have to use use the factory materials. No. Is there um, any is there any shoe or leather piece out there that you have to? It's so uniquely made that you have to purchase it from the designer. There's a couple out there, like Doc Martin, for instance. Okay. If you can find those soles, that's not something that we can just pick up from any wholesaler or supplier that we buy from. So there's a few, but it's very low percentage, very low percentage. Um, You know, the the thing about shoe, I don't like to call it shoe repair. I like to call it shoe recrafting because there's a difference when you enter these contests. Uh, uh, One of my mentors, Robert D. Ronaldo, used to say, we don't want to repair shoe. We want to recraft the shoe. We don't want it to look repaired. We want it to look like it did when it came out of the box because that's why the customer bought it. They like how it looked and they like how it felt. If you change the looks and you change the feel, it's not the same shoe anymore. So that is the ingredient in my but do you, brain. For, but do you get that though? Do some people like, well, can you change it to look a little like this? Can you if add they a, ask, If they, if they ask, ask. Okay. I'll get, it's funny. I'll get comments. Why did you put that many nails or why didn't you put enough nails? And it's, it's the way it was when it was made. I save the soles. I take them off when I cut them off and I follow the same patterns. So when someone says, why didn't you put 20 nails in there instead of eight? Because it wasn't made like that. Go watch another video. 
Good. I love that. That attitude back. I love it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Good. You got to give it to some of these trolls online. It's so, it's so funny. Yes, trolls, man. I'll trolls. Yes. What's the most challenging part of the shoe recrafting process? Cheap shoes. Oh, really? Yeah. Cheap okay. shoes. We, we don't like working on cheap shoes. And when I say cheap shoes, man-made material. Unfortunately, these days, if you're paying full retail for a shoe and you're paying less than $200, you're getting a lot of plastics and a okay. lot of just garbage. And they might say genuine lizard, but they'll put all vinyl around the shoe and one little piece of lizard up in the front. You know, I mean, that? they do. There's shoes that'll come in one brand called Leather Comforts. And when you look under the tag, it says all man-made material, but that's the name of the shoe. People will buy it because it says leather comforts. They think it's all leather, but it's polyurethane, which looks like leather. But after it reaches a few years old, it starts cracking and falling apart. So the challenges and the things I dislike is, is working on cheap shoes because they're not easy to repair. Oh, gosh. Quality, good shoes are easy to repair. Yeah, I can see that. That's, in, that's interesting that you said that. During the repairing process, what is part of the process that's your favorite part that's what i want to know too getting them finished <laughs> getting them finished and out the door and moving on <laughs> yeah i don't I know love it. i don't know if i have you know i don't know if i have a favorite part i uh, like you, in one I video think... you said that you're uh, there was a video you did and you were talking about on YouTube about your favorite part is when you can sit down and remove the stitches. I thought that was great because that's the only time oh, of the day only, that you I can sit, sit down. down. You listen <laughs> it. to it. I did you know listen what? to it. You're right. That is my favorite part. Good. I had eight pair to pick out the other day. It took me two hours. I got to sit down for two hours. You know, I've been staying eight to 10 hours for 40 some odd years. You've got I'll some killer put... quads. You've got some killer quads. <laughs> I got uh, my... Yeah, I did. I've got friends that'll come in to try it and then they'll come in the next day and say how sore they are from standing up all day. I'm sure. So, I'm sure. But, I watched that video and I thought, how is he doing that all day long? That's, and then you're always kind of like not hunched over, but you're always really meticulously working in a yeah, certain positioning. So it is. And you know, it's not easy. I've had to push through a lot. I, I, I've had two back surgeries. I've got two tears in my left shoulder, one in my right. Yeah. Three herniated discs in my neck. So yeah. looking down and doing all that and twisting the shoes. And I, I mean, I can't go get it repaired because I can't be down for six months. No. But I've done a lot of physical therapy. I feel a lot better and Good. I want to be able to push to it. But, you know, it's like, it's like the most satisfying part, to be honest with you. It's not starting the process and finishing the process. It's when you see the customer's face or you get an email. And they're so excited. That's the best part. They're so happy with how it came out. Because I'm never happy with my finished job every time I look at it. And then I watched something the other day, and I'm not comparing myself to Michelangelo by no means. But I watched um, a program, a series I, I really like. And Michelangelo was painting in the chapel, you know, and he's painting the ceiling. And he's screaming, and he's yelling, and he comes walking out. And the Pope's standing there and one of the Cardinals walks up and, and Michelangelo's storming out the door saying it's, it's, it's a mess. He hates it. And he's mad. He walks, storms out. And, and the, the Cardinal says, what's wrong with Michael? And he goes, 
oh, he hates his work, but look at it. It's magnificent. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I know how Michelangelo feels now because <laughs> half the work I do, I look at it and I'm like, I don't like that. I hope they like it. I'm not. And then when the customer comes back to me and they're so happy, then I'm like, that's the best part of the whole process. I love that. I love that. I love that reward feeling. I get you. I get you on that. That's amazing. Have you ever built a shoe from scratch? Yes, I made a, a pair. I went to a friend of mine, Marcel Marchand. He's from Budapest. Uh-huh. He teaches shoemaking. He's in Pennsylvania now. But I went and spent three days with him. It's very painstaking. Marcel Marchand, I can send you his link on Instagram. Yeah. He's somebody you would definitely want to talk to. He's Be amazing. Cool. Cool. Amazing. He's a master. Watching him draw patterns, patterns of shoes yeah. is like watching Walt Disney draw Mickey Mouse. I mean, when you see it come to life on paper with pencil, it's amazing. He spelled, he sells a shoe line. It's M-A-R-S-E-L-L, correct? No, it's M-A-R-S-N, I believe. S-N, okay. Wait, that's his last name. Rashawn's in, I'll send it to you. It's a yeah, I would love spelling. that. Okay, yeah. cool. But anyway. It's, it's a yeah, difficult process. Oh man, my, my hands, I, I'll do, I'll do shoe repair. Uh, Shoemakers, shoemakers. It's a, it's a whole, people don't realize it. They say, can you change the shape of the toe? No, you've got to have a lot. You've got to have, it's a whole different set of tools. It's a whole different process. Which by the way, which by the way, has the tools changed? I know in your cabinet, there are like tools from when your grandfather worked. Uh, Is it changed at all? Or has it gone more automated? Very little. Very, very little. Machines wow. changed a bit. Machines changed a bit. Machines were about the same up into the 60s or 70s, and then they changed them to some better high-performance machines, but pretty much the same. Tools are pretty much the same. I use the same tack hammers my grandfather used and some of the same hammers and tools my grandfather used because the new ones are actually made cheaper. Really? So, Did he hand-stitch? Yeah. Did he do his own hand-stitching? My grandfather? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they did. They did. My great uncle, the only, my great great uncle who trained my grandfather, the only machine he had in the shop was a little Singer sewing machine. So he had to sew everything by hand. Holy buckets. I can't even imagine yeah. those needles would be, those leather needles are like super thick. You'd have to punch them through. Yeah. 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 I had to do that when I made my pair of shoes. It took me wow. three days to make a basic pair of derby shoes. And my fingers were literally like cramping up like this by the third day. And I'm like, hey, no freaking way I'm doing this again. That's the first and last pair of shoes I'm making. <laughs> That's unreal, but you did it. I can't say I I've it. ever made a pair of shoes. <laughs> and they came out nice and I'm not ever going to wear them. And you're never going to wear them. Really? No. Nope. Oh, you've got no, to wear them at some they, point. <laughs> I, put them, I put them in my display. I might. I don't know. But I, just don't like I think you should. You should get a great little photo shoot in them. I think it'd be amazing. I would, I would love uh, we'll to see, see. that. All right. We're moving on. Okay. We have to go into your awards. So let's look at your accolades. Share with our followers, the competitions that you've completed and won. Where are the competitions held? Sir? Sorry. Oh, it froze up. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. You said. Let's talk about your accolades. So we're going to talk about what you, your, your awards and where you've gone and competed at. Okay. Well, in in the United States, I, 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 you know, they had a lot of different categories back in the, you know, for years. I mean, our our contest in 
for the United States Association started in 1938. Oh, okay. So that contest has been going on, you know, long is time. It, is it the same in the same location every year? No, no. What what we do is is we take the shoes, we repair them in our store. We repair one. We leave the mate unrepaired. And you're supposed to restore it back to its original factory condition. So then you mail it off to the judges and then and then they're they're judged. And then uh, a month or two later, they let out the results. And then they usually have a big, you know, sit down dinner or something and like an awards banquet. And so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I've been doing that for a long time. It's like foraging, so, the, the forager, like the knife making a lot of knife people that they make knives, professional looking knives. Mm-hmm. I think it's, is it called forager, foragery? I don't know. I can't remember the correct term, but they make it in their own studio and then they send it off for competition. Very similar, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Sounds it. So what yeah. are they judging it on? What's the criteria? Well, I, I'm actually one of the judges now. I have been for about 20 years. And so what we're doing is we have a score sheet and we're looking at every aspect of the shoe. How did they re- refinish the tops? Do they look, you know, we'll look at the old one. We'll look at the new one. You know, how's the trimming around the edges? How's the heel? Are they balanced? You know, being balanced means when you put them on the ground, do they sit nice and flat or do they wobble? You know, we just, we just go over the shoe and compare the thickness of the sole to the original to see if it changed anything. So, you know, we tell people, you know, when they ask, how, how do I do well in the contest? Clone the shoe, the one you're repairing, clone the one that you're not repairing, you know, the same thickness, the same shape. You don't want to change the shape. And, you know, that that's what we do. So we're trying to train them. Entering the contest is just basically a, a, a great course to take because you get your score sheets back and you can learn to improve. I mean, it took me 10 years before I won the Grand Silver Cup. And the first year or two, I would get very frustrated because, you know, I had a lot of pride and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm better than what these guys say I am. And little did I know, <laughs> I was not. Okay, I, had yeah, a lot I can to see learn. that. <laughs> I had That's a lot awesome. to learn. Yeah. So I swallowed my pride and I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a different attitude about this and realize I am not as good as I thought I was. And, and so I'm just keep learning and learning. Good. That's wonderful. What was your proudest accomplishment? Award-winning or just something you can we go were able to? Overall, whatever. Whatever you want to throw out there in the universe. Front page of the Wall Street Journal. That's really cool. <laughs> I saw yeah, that. Yeah. That's really I, cool. I look like, though, my, my pixel picture on there, I kind of look like a a gangster or something. <laughs> That's what you said. I, I, I heard your interview on that. I heard you say that. That was yeah, kind of funny. Yeah. So, but that, that was a lot of fun. And, and the Adam Sandler movie was fun too. We got to work on that. So that was a lot of fun. You were um, in the Adam Sandler movie. I didn't realize that. The co- the cobbler, the movie, the oh, cobbler. I didn't we know just, that. We just, we helped, we're in the credits at the very end, but you got to go all the way to the end. But they hung pictures of my family up in all different spots on the set. So I can pause it and see my grandfather and my dad and, you know, and picture me and my dad. In fact, the last picture I took with my dad, funny, I I took my sister in to see my dad. and We were leaving. I was taking back to the airport. She goes, get a picture with dad real quick. And I'm like, no, come on, let's go. I'll get one later. She goes, no, get one. So I went over there and took a picture of little dad. I know that was the last picture I'd ever take with my dad. So 
they took that picture and hung it right over next to the cash register on the set. So when Adam Sandler's standing at the front counter, I can see the picture of me and my dad right there. That so that's is really cool. cool. That gives me chills. But, but at the end of the, the movie and the credits, but you got to go all the way to the end of the credits. When you think you're at the end, go a little further. Okay. And there we are. But anyway, I love it. that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. That's wonderful. I love that. Okay. We're going to move into, I was reading several articles on shoe repair businesses over having over 50 years of experience in the industry. And I know we keep going down this road, but once there were one of 15 shoe and leather repair businesses in a city, now there may be only one or two in the region. Most are servicing 300,000 to 500,000 people. The demand is still high, but many are aging. And we talked about that a bit and they're up against the real possibility of closing their shop once they age out, which ultimately impacts all these customers. Now you then have to absorb that demand, correct? It's happening. Yes. All the other shops are absorbing that. How are you handling that? How does that work? Right now, my, my staff is, is handling it okay. Eventually, you've got two options. You push the work out further or you find another skilled craftsman that you can talk into coming to your place. You know, right. and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to do. That would be hard to do. So we, we, when I was a young teenager, they were coming in once a week looking for jobs. No one's come in looking for a job in 25 years. Holy buckets, which I think, and we'll go into that, but I know you talked about what you're doing to prepare for your business, what you're bringing in your nephew. Is there other things that you're doing to help him prepare for what's to come in your industry? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching him everything I know across the board. And, and we do talk about the future of, because, you know, I mean, there's, there's, in my whole county, there's only three shops. One may not be there much longer. And the other one in my hometown, I, I don't know if all his kids are going to college. It's, you know, you know, all my kids went to college there. I don't know if they're going to. You know, my daughter could possibly stick around and keep doing the social media as well with it. She makes good money on it. My son, he could possibly come in and run, you know, parts of it. I don't see him cranking the wrenches like my nephew does. But, you know, there's still a lot to put together over the next two to three years. So I really won't know a lot uh, about where this is going to settle out until then. Absolutely. Which, you know, it's unfortunate. I look at my husband and I were just having this conversation about college and I think the times are shifting. I think the idea of college is shifting because we're seeing Mm -hmm. that, you know, I just had our our plumbing plumbing work done. So the plumber came over and we got that bill and we were shocked. So, you know, people are shifting. They're, they're less talking about, well, you have to go to college. That's what we all dealt with in the, in the nineties, you have to go to college. You have to get a scholarship. You have to get a grant, go to college. But now, you know, in having conversations with my children, my 16 year old, it's more of, do you want to go to college? Are you interested in other things? He's interested in construction and, you know, it's more of an open conversation. It's not, it's not more of you have to go to college, but we do require that he understands business. Because you, if you're going to do something in those fields, you have to understand business, period. I mean, that's how yeah. you run your business. But I look at this opportunity in your industry 
as an opportunity to do something at these trade schools? Why isn't there a trade school that offers these types of programs? You know, it baffles me too. We've been working on an academy in South Florida for a couple of years now, and it's still, you know, it's still in the works. And um, I worked with a group of people about two years ago down there for a year. Um, the, the gentleman that put it together, put together one of the best teams I have ever been around in my life as far as skilled craftsmen go, who repairs, sewers, uh, dye artists, incredible and wants to build this academy and and hopefully it happens over the next year we're, we're hoping it does but the problem is is you can kind of just target if it's in south florida you can only kind of target that area you know uh, go visit guidance counselors and see who's not going to college and if they're interested in learning the trade and going to the academy to learn this but what are you going to do put an academy in every state all the big cities, who's going to support all that? It's for shoe repair. It's very, very, you know, it's easier to teach plumbing and electric than, than bring in all these shoe repair machines and all these shoe repair tools. And I just don't know how they're going to do it. Well, my thought is you have these big box retailers that are literally diving. I mean, if you look at their stock prices, it's pretty scary to look at Nordstrom and, you know, how they've taken a plummet. They're trying to revise the whole consignment industry. Okay. And so my, I thought about this, just as an idea, why not partner with those types of industry, these types of big box realtors and retailer companies and say, you know, why not throw some grants at us? Why not we start something where we can, you know, you bought something from Nordstrom's high-end sale, Coach Purse, whatever, Kate Spade, Chanel, right? And then bring on people that can fix those pieces so you can then resell it. Yeah. <laughs> That's my thought is just the right partnerships that want to revitalize this that type of industry, I think would be- yeah. Yeah, that would that would be good. It, I mean, figuring out this formula is going to be tough. The only one I've come up with so far is a lot of these guys over the next 10 years are going to be retiring. Mm -hmm. If you're out there listening, and, and every time we throw up a video now, and we're getting a million or, I mean, we've got one up there. We just looked today, it's going to hit 80 million on it's reels. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. We went from 25,000 followers three months ago to now we're almost a half a million just because two reels went super viral. It's not it's amazing. But most of the questions are, where can I learn this? I've always wanted to do this. You wouldn't believe how many people comment on that. Well, here is a good idea. Go find a local shoe repair shop if you can find one. And if it's an older gentleman, because there are a lot of them out there that are in 60s, 70s, and 80s, even some in their 90s. And every day I get Google alerts where they're closing all the time. And these guys don't have a retirement. They can't live on $1,000 a month in the Social Security. Go in there and say, hey, teach me the trade. I know it's going to take a few years, but teach me the trade. And in return, I'll take over the business and... Here's a way to do it. Getty did this with Getty Oil. Go and he set up the oil, you know, drill it all out, not take any money down. You just pay me X amount of months. Mm -hmm. And and you just say it. You just go and you teach me and I'll give you a thousand a month. 
that supplements his income. Now he's getting 2000 a month to live on or whatever number they come up with. But in return, they've been trained for three to five years. And the trade-off is now that guy can walk out of there and have some income coming in, you know, from that shop. And it's good for both parties. Right. That's one way. That's one way. But um, I haven't figured out any other way. Well, I think too, if you're looking at what's happening, I, I'm going to throw this out there in the universe. You just made me go there in my head. Um, there's a lot of men and women. Okay. I'm not just pointing out one sex over the other, but they, there's a lot of addiction. Okay. And a lot of people are seeking recovery services and then they found themselves without a job or they've lost their home or whatever. And I think that with what's happening in the influx of addiction in the world, people are seeking services, but they're also then saying, how do I want to clean up my life? What do I want to do? I lost my, my past, my, you know, my job, my family, blah, blah, blah. That's another area where, where there could be a partnership with these places that help people get back on their feet, teach them a skill, teach them a trade. People should not be walking around on this universe without anything to do. That's when bad things happen. That's what I tell my kids. When you have yeah. nothing to do, bad things happen. That's when you can offer these services. These people can get additional training skills and, and then look at the opportunities in your field, in your industry to bring it back and give people passion back in their lives. This is art. Do you look at what you do as art at all? <laughs> um, if it comes out good. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, really, no, it's a skilled art. Well, listen, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, throw a guitar in my hand. I can't play it. It's going to sound terrible. You know, throw a shoe in somebody's hand. It's that's never done it before. They're not going to do a good job. But if you played that guitar like Eddie Van Halen, or you've been repairing shoes for 25, 30 years or more, doesn't mean you're going to be good just because you've been doing that long. But if they are good, you know, they're, they're going to do a, an amazing job, but I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, when you're talking, something that baffles me is some of these people coming out of like prison, for instance. Yes. Some of them were good, are, are good people. They went for a crime that wasn't, you know, murder or something horrible. It was, you know, something they got caught up in and paid a price and had to spend 20 years in there and they're coming out. And there's this one friend of mine, for instance, he was in there 25 years and, and he came out and couldn't get a job. No one would hire him. And he finally found a job unloading semi trucks, hundred pound bags of fertilizer in the hot summer. And they're paying him $12 an hour. And I'm thinking, I'm calling around. I'm like, there's gotta be some government funding or something from these prisons that help these guys learn to trade when they get out so they can be productive in society. But it was easier for him to go down to the gas station and commit a crime to go back into the system because he couldn't figure out how to make his ends meet out here. Absolutely. It's terrifying. It's terrifying for, for all those people. It really is. So yeah, we can't solve the world's problem in a 45 minute podcast. But that would be a big opportunity. Yes. But we definitely can bring that to, to light to somebody to grasp a hold of and do something with that. So thank you for sharing that. I do want to go into a little bit more on the emotional piece. Your work is extraordinary. I mean, I've, that's what hooked me on your reels and what you do to give life to an object that has so much meaning for a person has impact. For example, stories I've read 
it got me down to this whole rabbit hole late at night, 11 o'clock at night, reading about stuff. And I loved it. And I read regarding an old pair of saddle shoes once worn by a beloved grandfather that were able to be restored, brought tears to this granddaughter's eyes. People that have been that have a lot of invested emotion in treasured accessories, right? What has been the best example of something that you brought back to the original look that, that you later learned made a significant impact on a client? Oh, I've got my favorite one. This mom brought in a pair of Western boots. They belonged to her dad. And he used to take his grandson fishing all the time. And he always wore those boots. Well, then when the grandfather died, the daughter kept those boots. Well, when the son reached an age where he wore that size, she brought them in. They were a mess and wanted them completely restored. And she was going to give them to him for his birthday, 18th birthday. So we completely took those things apart, rebuilt them back as close to new as we could. And there he had his grandfather's boots. And yeah. um, from what she said, that was that was quite a quite a present to open. I can't imagine opening that and seeing something that was your your grandfather's that took you fishing all the time. And he was the the apple of your eye growing up and such a mentor to him to to have such a, a wonderful gift. That was a great idea she had. That that's my favorite story so far. I love it. I love hearing stuff like that. You should write a book around that. I bet you have tons of stories like that. Oh, my handwriting's terrible. Nobody be able no, to read I it. doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to transition. Now, is there any things that are coming up in your field where people could learn more about you? I know there we're going to talk about your Instagram handle and you're going to give your TikTok handle. So people can go and follow you, but is there anything coming up where they could learn more about shoe cobbling? Well, if, if this Academy, um, hopefully this fall, we're going to start working on it again. If, if this happens, we're going to try to put on online courses out there. So everybody can learn the basics of everything. They can learn what shoe polish is and all the steps of cleaning and polishing they're all going to be beginning classes. Uh, learn to clean and polish. Learn how to clean suede. You know, just the basics, so they can learn enough on the online classes. And we have tests and all the curriculum written up. Then, then they at least know enough when they take these classes to go into a shoe repair shop and know all the blueprints of what they need to do. At least they have a starting point, and they'll have some knowledge. At least it'll help get them started. So that's kind of where we start with that. And then eventually we want to bring people into the academy where they can fly in and spend a few days to uh, sharpen their skills in certain areas. We'll run a course on how to put on leather soles, of course, how to put on heel tips, of course, how to put on sole protectors, different courses on different things. So they can just, you know, I mean, that's what we're trying to do. It's, 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 cool. it's, a, it's a tough process, but we're trying. Well, when you guys kick that off, let me know. I'll help with promotion. Okay. I would love that. I would love to help with that. Okay. My last three questions. So I know you're a busy man. So if you had a saying or a quote that best describes your, your philosophy on business, what you do, what would it be? I thought about that one when I read it, because there's like four or five words that are very important to me. 
And then I was like, you know, I'm going to Google this one word. And it described all five words just as I, integrity. It's very important. You've got to be dependable. You have to be super dependable. And what that covers is have the job ready when it's supposed to be done on time. If she's coming in on Tuesday, it's got to be done on Tuesday. Or you better call her two days in advance and let her know. So they're not coming in, making another trip. So you've got to be dependable and you got to be loyal, you know, be, be you know, loyal to your, your customers, you know, treat them good and, and show them that, you know, how, how loyal you are to them as far as how important they are to you. I mean, every, I never in my life would have dreamed customers living a thousand miles away from me that are calling me feel just as important to me as the one walking through the door. Uh, and it's it's crazy. I never thought I would experience that, but I did. And the honesty, you know, honesty is super important. Good judgment and, and respect that those all fall under integrity. And it, it's so important. I'm not just saying it. If you can put that word into your, your daily living, especially when you're running a business, if you build it around integrity, you can spend your lifetime and career building up your integrity. It can all be wiped out just in one day. So it's it's the biggest asset I think you can have when you own your own business is the integrity of that business, which covers all those words. App, oh, so good. That was so good. Thank you so much. I think you should have that as your motto. Like you should make a sign with that. That'd be amazing. Put in your back backdrop. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I have to. I love it. Thank you so much. What legacy do you hope to leave? You know, I, I, I just, you know, I've thought about that in so many different ways. You know, I mean, if people look back, you know, I just, you know, Mickey Mantle, you know, he, they asked him that same question and he said, I just wanted people to say I was a good teammate, you know? And I think my legacy is, is that I want to leave is, is, he was great for the industry. You know, he was good to the industry. I never want to think I'm better than any other guy. If some guy, a young guy came up to see me one time at a show, never saw him. He said, I drove four hours to meet you. I stopped what I'm doing and I took him to lunch and I gave him an hour, hour and a half. I mean, I was so humbled. So for me, um, I think the biggest legacy I can leave would be uh, people remembering me as he loved the industry and he, he brought so much and we were able to learn how to be not just good craftsmen, but good people. I love that. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? <laughs> I hope it's not Oak Hill Cemetery. <laughs> no one wants that. No one wants that. Not yet. <laughs> no. Love it. No, I was just out there the other day. I was Five to 10 years, I'm, I'd say five years, probably winding up my career, more than likely. In, in 10 years, hopefully I'm still part of the industry if I'm, if I'm doing well and feeling good. Maybe, maybe teaching the industry, you know, that, it would be wonderful at that point if we actually had something between now and then, because I don't ever want to leave the industry. I mean, there's nothing else I want to do, you know, so... If they have to wheel me up in a wheelchair to talk to customers, that's okay. You know what? What you I'll... just 
what you just said right there, how many people can say that after a lifetime of work, let's say working, I came from Caterpillar. I, I know people rushing to get out the doors. I mean, I went to retirement parties. It was like, they kept looking at their watch. So like, I'm out of here in about 20 minutes. You, you're like an inspiration for people to be like, I do what you love and that you're passionate about. That's, that's it. That's the whole key. Yes. That's the whole key. Why do something you hate when you hate going to work every day? You know, you hate going to work here. Take the chance. Exactly. Get out there and do it. I mean, what if you fail? I mean, how many times did, you know, Thomas Edison fail before that light bulb worked? I mean, you're going to fail, you know, exactly. I mean, it, it happens. It's part of life. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we learn. But man, I just go with what you love. I mean, go with your gut, what you have passion for, because passion is what's going to take you where you want to go. Yes. And I think what you're doing and your presence online is reinventing that. And when you said that you could be an educator, you could go around and do workshops and talk and be, you know, a person that is visible in, in this field. I think that is what you are meant to do. Not just give up and go on vacation. It it doesn't (laughs) matter what industry it's in. Yeah. Yeah. Passion and compassion. Yes. Show love, show that you truly, truly care. And all that's so important. And when people see that, they believe in you. That's what brings you in a lot of business. And it's not that you do that just to get their business. It's you do that because you want to see the reward at the end when they're just so happy with what they got back. I can see that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I really have enjoyed getting to know you and learning about your industry and what you've done, it's been mind-blowing for me. So I've learned a lot. Well, good. I, I talk a lot. So I, you met the I right person. You met the, I can talk all day. So <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. I really have enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, I, I love the opportunity just mainly because we can get the word out to the, to the, consumers out there that should repair exist and do your research. There's lots of good ones still out there. Absolutely. If you guys want to connect with Jim, you can connect with him on Facebook. He also has a, a Facebook handle. So is it Jim McFar? Is it Jim McFarlane shoe repair? Yeah, I have, I have, well, I have McFarlane shoe repair and Jim McFarlane is my personal page, but McFarlane shoe repair. I'm not on there as much as I am Instagram. Okay. And Instagram, this is, America's I mean, cobbler. amazing. So it's at America's cobbler is where you can see everything, learn more. I mean, it's really, it will suck you in. <laughs> and I didn't in. call myself that I, you know, a, a friend of mine named me that years ago, every time I would go out to California, he would say, Hey, there's America's cobbler. And it embarrassed me because he would embarrass me in front of all his employees. Cause I didn't want to think, you know, I've always tried to stay on the humble side. And I would just like, Ugh. so one day I'm laying in a hotel room, it's pouring down rain, I'm not going out to work in the rain. So I'm thinking, I've got to rebrand myself and get into this social media thing. And then that popped up, American Cobbler. I think that would get a good ring to it. And it took off, it did well. I love it. Look at the flag in the background, patriotic. I love my country, so I'm all about it. I love it. And then yes. you, can, if you have any questions and you want to reach out to Jim, you can email him at americascobbler at gmail.com. 
Thank That's you it. So much. That's it. Oh, we did it. Thank you, Julie. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much. much. A special thank you to our guest expert, Jim McFarland, America's cobbler. You can find all his social media links in the description of this episode. Thank you for listening and watching. Hit subscribe to be notified of our next expert chat.